Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Kate Richards. Kate is an award-winning Australian writer as well as a doctor and medical researcher, and she's joining me today to discuss her new novel, Fusion. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. And there I speak with an Australian writer, and together we explore their books, their writing, their literary culture. Now, the Great Conversations podcast is a way to hear those full conversations, expanding on our discussion, getting behind the scenes of the book, and engaging with issues in our world. We are back for 2019. This is our second episode of the year. And it is fantastic to see the enthusiasm for books and writing that is out there. I love sharing this with you. So if you want to make sure that you always get a new great conversation every week, just hit subscribe and tell your friends. Word of mouth is such a powerful way. It's how you discover books. It's how I discover books. So let people know. And if you are loving it, why not give us a rating? And then in the digital world, people will randomly come across us. (laughs) Now, in Kate Richards' fusion, we go deep into the Australian bush. Remote and secluded in a small cabin live C and Serene, conjoined twins who have escaped from a society that treated them as freaks. Joined by their cousin Ren, together they live a secluded life off the land. And when one day, when, when Ren brings home an unconscious woman, the household is thrown into turmoil. How did the badly beaten woman come to be so far out in the bush without even shoes? And what does her presence in the house mean for the life that they have been living? I'm joined on the line by Kate Richards. Kate is an award-winning Australian writer. She's also a doctor and a medical researcher. And we're going to be discussing her latest novel, Fusion. So welcome, Kate. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's lovely to be here. Now, Fusion takes us to a cabin in the Australian bush. It's not too far from the nearest town of Swigan, but not so close that the occupants fear uninvited guests. Within the cabin, Lucy and Serene conjoined twins who have escaped to the cabin from an institutionalised life where they were treated as freaks. Their cousin Ren has joined them in the cabin and together the three live in a kind of Walden-esque life off the land. When one day Ren brings home an unconscious woman, the household is thrown into turmoil. The twins are healers, but can even they revive the badly beaten woman? And how did she come to be so far out in the bush without even shoes? As as they care the woman back to health, the three must confront the life that they've been living and and the choices that suddenly this fourth person brings. Now, Kate, there's so much diffusion as we move through and we explore the histories, the internal lives of C, Serene, Ren, and the young woman that they come to call Christ when uh, we learn she doesn't know her own name. I think readers are ultimately going to find a lot of reward in going on this journey with the characters. And while I'm going to avoid spoilers, it's really hard to discuss uh, this sort of psychological development without them. Was this your goal to ultimately paint these distinct psychological profiles and then then challenge those identities? Definitely. Uh, I think I probably thought about each of those characters and, in, you know, sort of developed my idea of who they were in the beginning of the book and how they might change for, I don't know, probably six or seven months before I actually started writing any of it. So that in my, in the, it was almost like in the back of my head, they kind of, or somewhere inside my head anyway, they'd already um, formed uh, quite fully. And then the writing of it was, was 
uh, it was up to me to sort of present them in the beginning and then to, uh, I guess, slowly reveal how various challenges that they face um, force them in some ways to to really um, confront themselves and um, consider how they see themselves and how they see the world and then um, in, in various different ways, some good and some not so good, that they, they change and, and regrow or grow in different directions, put it that way. Sea and Serene particularly are these fantastically drawn characters, but also so interesting, especially in the ways that they constantly challenge themselves and, and their understanding because they they share certain aspects of um, their body uh, and, and they themselves don't properly know how many lungs they have. They know they have two arms, two legs, but they also have each have their own their own head, mind, brain. They're not sure where the, they begin and end in terms of their nervous system. That must have been really mm. interesting to, to create those identities in that way. It was fascinating and it was... I think the idea of conjoined twins is something that nearly all of us find um, interesting or fascinating in, in various ways. Um, and there, there, I think there are the physical complexities and there are also the psychological complexities and the emotional complexities of what that kind of existence might be like. And, of course, I don't actually know um, uh, but I, I did I did quite a lot of um, research along the way and um, some of the the things that that I found really interesting about this particular kind of conjoined twin that see in Serena where they've got two heads so two minds two completely distinct personalities however um, one of them controls the left arm and leg of their body and the other controls the right arm and leg and so I think what fascinated me in terms of writing fiction was thinking about how how that kind of coordination that they would have to have in order to just live day to day would work and what might happen if from um, various outside factors, other people coming into their lives, that kind of coordination, that kind of um, synchronicity broke down. Um, and that was really the, the, the crux of the beginning idea that I had for the novel. Throughout the book, the twins and also Wren refer to this conceit of quantum entanglement to explain the, the twins and how they, how they are both as individuals but as, as a, a twin. <laughs> uh, yeah. can, can, you explore, can you explore that a little bit for me? Because it was, so, it was so interesting to watch the twins and also Wren use it as a, as a guiding point of understanding. Yes, so um, I don't think the twins so much saw it like... Well, I think they intuitively felt um, themselves um, to follow that kind of path, but Ren sort of um, was the one to articulate it. And and it really... So that the the physics um, formula suggests that when you have um, two particles who who are fused together like that, that everything that one of them does is um, is connected um, to everything the other one does and that one of them can't um, operate um, or can't be alive really or move in the realm without 
without having an effect on the other one and vice versa. And so in the beginning of the book, C and Serene think of themselves as one person. Um, and they use the pronoun we, um, and they are really absolutely, um, I suppose, fused, if you want to use that term, um, psychologically and emotionally as well as um, literally in their physical form. Uh, and that's how they've developed the kind of cooperation that they need to survive. Um, and I think it also meant that they avoided conflict with one another. It was a nice way of being able to be together if if there was always that sense that um, that they were connected in, in every single deep way that we think of um, as human beings. So their soul, their spirit, if you like, their heart, um, their mind. They, they sort of say that their idea is that is that their thinking is the same and therefore their behaviour will follow to be the same. And that's that's really how they've grown up and it's not until um, this injured stranger arrives um, and starts to challenge that idea that they've ever thought to, um, to perhaps think about themselves as, in, as two individuals. Would it be fair to, to say also that, that that sense of synchronicity but also the sense of separation almost equaling death expands out to to the cabin, to, to Ren's existence in their life, uh, not just for the twins but also for Ren? They, they've kind of created a system of living that they can almost not conceive the three of them um, of separating and, and then you have this challenge and that's really a lot, a lot of the tension centres around this this challenge to their way of living. Yes, and, and I think that was one of the other original ideas I had. Usually when I start writing, I start writing because I've got questions that I'm really interested in that I don't have the answers to and so one of the questions that I had in my mind at the beginning was that if you had... Um, you know, in this case, it's it's three people, three fairly young people living um, a very symbiotic life um, in a very isolated environment where they'd almost created their own ecosystem um, and were very self-sufficient and happy um, and like a little bubble, I suppose, is how I kind of thought of it. And uh, and then if that if that bubble is is broken um, with the intrusion of someone else. Um, what would be the ripple effects of that on the three of them? Um, so I think that was that was definitely my starting point and something that I'd been thinking um, a great deal about. Uh, and that was, and I, I suppose that's um, that's something of of the challenge that moves through the book. Um, and I hope that they may sort of face that challenge in some ways that might be thought of as as predictable, and some ways that that might be unpredictable or a bit surprising. Mm. And so Christ enters their lives. Uh, Ren finds a young woman on the side of the road, brings her home. She's she's bit badly beaten, uh, or it appears she's been badly beaten. Uh, and, and they dub her Christ because it emerges she doesn't remember her own name. Mm. She, she's abused, she's damaged. But in a sense, though, I got she's also stronger than either the twins or Ren because she has this assurance that she belongs in the outside world, that it's a place that she can broach. She evokes uh, in all of them a sense of protection and also a sense of desire. So 
As a reader, I was drawn to this juxtaposition you create between the world, Ren, C, and Serene's world of the bush and the world of, of the wider sort of the town. Music was this point of departure, and so you have Christ bringing in these, this, more what we would think of as music. They, they get a guitar and she can play melodies and sing to them. But the twins also hear music in nature, in the, in the wind, in the trees, in the, in the water, in the stream. I wondered where you, you fell yourself on this spectrum of living because there's a huge attraction to both sides. Yeah, I think I think there are elements of me that, that sort of do come down on, on either side and certainly the um the Alpine wilderness where the book is set, um, is very isolated, a lot of it. And um uh and it's one of my most favourite places to spend time. Um and it can be a very solitary thing and I think you are often if you're up there camping or hiking that you're away from from a lot of what we we understand to be the kind of bustling, busy world of most of our lives. And certainly um the times that I've gone hiking well off um the grid, if you like, I think after a while you do start to hear music um in in nature and not just sort of the obvious things like birdsong but um in the wind in the leaves um uh and all you know certainly in the water and that's where the twins have i i suppose found some kind of um auditory joy um and they've not come across the um I think they find the music that Christ plays a little overwhelming initially because it's something that they haven't really experienced before, but because it then starts to... Um, I suppose they start to respond to it in different ways, and it's the first time that the two of them have um, sort of very deeply and viscerally and automatically responded to something um, quite differently, uh, and that sort of is the catalyst for sparking further development um, within the book. Yeah, it's remarkable because it's it's not that they are completely cut off. They do have books, so they ha- they have an understanding of, of narrative. They are able to, to inhabit and enjoy the things that they read, but music really takes both of them out of themselves in different ways, which was... Yes. I want to come, I want to, come to the, the setting as well because there's this really idyllic... Uh, life that you draw the twins in, the the way they, they can subsist on the land, and they are very happy with what we would probably look at as very simple needs. But mm. there's also this sense of paranoia about their being discovered or having their daily routine interrupted. Um, I was actually brought to mind ideas around uh, the Australian Gothic particularly, but in a way, it also felt like you were showing us the other side. We were we were there in the woods, living with the twins who are recluse, and um, the what we might consider a maybe a, a, a more traditional Gothic uh, narrative arc would be the we would take the Christ-like character and move into this space and be unsure. Um, mm, yeah. Mm. Did you have a did you have a sense of of the gothic and and the way you might have been inverting that? It's funny because people uh, a number of people have have said um, ha- have sort of talked about the book being um, it, yeah in a way 
a, a turnaround of, of a gothic narrative. I, and I honestly had not considered that when I was writing it. I can look back now and, and sort of say, ah, oh, I see, um, which is really interesting for me because maybe it's, it's... I think I've always been drawn to stories where there, there's an element of subversion um, and an element of transgression and... Uh, I think isolation, survival, um, self-sufficiency, they're all things I'm really interested in and a lot of the writers that I love to read are probably writing about those kinds of things. So um, in terms of, uh, of coming from the point of view of the twins rather than from Christ, that's really interesting, but I think perhaps that's something naturally in me that I love those wild places myself very deeply and always have um, as a place those places are, are where I find a lot of comfort um, and where I often feel very safe weirdly so perhaps that was naturally um, I, I guess I was naturally able to to draw that as as a starting point rather than coming into it and finding it um, sort of frightening, which is which is how it feels to Christ that she feels it's it's unknown, it's massive, um, it's unpredictable, um, and there are no signposts um, within that wilderness that she can hold on to. And so for her, it's very frightening. But for the twins, it's quite the opposite because they had found their earlier childhood contact with people to be very frightening and unsafe. And so um, for them, the wilderness um, is very very much a peaceful place um, and a place of great beauty, which is not to say they don't respect it. Mm. Um, I think they're aware of the dangers um, that are there, but they feel that those dangers are ones that they can face and work with, whereas people are, for them, uh, I suppose, very unpredictable and um, and difficult to sort of understand um, which direction they're going to come from. And uh, so that's part of the reason that they end up isolating themselves in the first place. I want to I want to at this point pull particularly myself up on some of the language that I'm using here. We've, I've talked about isolation, we've talked about uh, wildness, and yeah, it strikes me that throughout the book you discuss the relationship of the land and and see and Serene's relationship with the land, but then also contrast it to the traditional owners who were displaced from that land. There's mm. a there's a great moment, uh, which I'm not going to go into in great detail because I don't want to spoil anything, but Wren actually wonders at whether this this may have been the heart of a nation. So very much what we're calling wild and isolated may have been a central place for the, the traditional owners of that land. What were you exploring here in this, in this contrast that you create? Uh, Wren, uh, without, without giving anything much away, Wren and Christ um, become lost in, in, the, in the wilderness. Uh, and... Christ is very, you know, naturally terrified um, and feels like that they are literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and Wren, while kind of agreeing, also pulls her up because 
I think he has um, some understanding that perhaps once, not, not all that long ago, that this may have actually not been the middle of nowhere at all, um, but the centre of um, a nation or perhaps the crossroad between two nations of, um, of the Indigenous communities that lived um, in, in those areas. Um, and that the concept of it being nowhere is very much a, uh, I, I suppose, a, a colonising um, kind of idea in that in that there isn't a city there, and one of the you know one of the cities created by white Australians, and therefore, if there isn't one, that it has to automatically be be nowhere and and have no the land having no meaning or no value or no life or no spirit, and and he's sort of very quick to suggest to her that actually. Um, that kind of notion might be be completely wrong. So, um, I, I mean, I think it's it's something that I wanted to include without hopefully labouring the point um, or suggesting that I understand um, how how it was um, for those thousands of years that people would have been living and and building their own communities um, on that land that we now sort of look at and just think of as, well, as not just, but, but see it as sort of wilderness or uncharted. This is a huge topic that um, it, we, we probably don't have the, the scope or the time to, to fully explore here. But the one thing I would note, though, is, is as soon as we start to think about the things that you've just talked about, it, it, of course, explodes all our ideas of, of genre and narrative and the way we might approach this book. Because, of course, if you are at the crossroads between nations, if you are at a place that was um, a busy hub for people moving back and forth, perhaps trading, our sense mm. of the Gothic, our sense of isolation is completely uh, thrown up in the air. And I, I'd, I'd probably just make the note that that is why it is, is so important to to read widely and explore ideas in books and and thank you thank you kate for the opportunity to be doing this infusion um i guess i, I maybe want to come back to the sense of of idol that i mentioned and the idol mm. the, the idyllic life that c and serene find themselves in that ren find themselves in we learn that that is is not all we we learn that there are there's darkness in their pasts that, that um they struggle with mm. and the arrival of christ really triggers something maybe it's change uh, maybe it, it, it's just getting them to look at where they are currently at and I wondered I wondered at this because it it's it's very hard to get your head around because as I said it seems like a very wonderful idyllic life but then it seems like by not confronting by by trying to stay static they've uh, they've ultimately done themselves a disservice do you think it is dangerous to try and remain static as a person to deny change Oh, uh -huh. I think the first thing I'd say about that is that it's a brilliant question and I'm not probably the right one necessarily to be answering it. I guess I can only offer an opinion. Every, um, everyone needs to get out and read Fusion and come yeah. to their own conclusion. <laughs> I, think, I, I think I am suggesting that in the book, um, that, you know, they these three people have developed this quite idyllic kind of life, but they are, all three of them, running from from things. 
um, they're running from their past, but they're also running from things within themselves, I think. And it's not until Christ arrives that they're um, confronted with some of those things and forced to actually look at them. And that, for all of us, is ter- can be terribly painful and terribly hard to, to sort of, uh, I guess, um, perhaps show some of those really vulnerable, shameful parts of ourselves um, and bear them to the light. Uh, and I guess I hope I'm suggesting in fusion that um, while that that can be um, a wonderful thing, it can also be a very difficult thing and that the, the outcome of doing that, um, well, there are many, many different outcomes um, and some of those are good and some of those are perhaps not so good. Um, so it's a very complex thing and, and I hope that the book suggests that the way the three of them do that is all slightly different and the outcomes for them are different. Um, and so some of that sort of multi-layered complexity kind of um, comes through. So I would never say it's a black and white um, sort of kind of idea, but I think I think it's um, it's something that can be can be very useful for all of us because I think we all um, deliberately hide parts of ourselves that we don't like or that we feel we're ashamed of or um, that we'd rather not tackle. Um, and and that's something that this book kind of grapples with, I suppose, mm. and I suppose it offers possible answers but definitely not the only answers. Or even, even for our own protection, it, um, it occurs to me because if we look at the individual narratives, I'm going to speak generally here to avoid too, too much spoiling, um, everyone is broadly escaping a circumstance that isn't entirely their making. You mm, you do mm. enter into sort of discussions around um, disability and ability. You enter into discussions around uh, safety, for yeah. uh, particularly for women. And um, simply confronting a circumstance isn't always an option if it's if it's inherently going to just put yourself at risk. Uh, yeah. Which which was also which was also wonderful because we need to have these discussions and see how they play out because so often as you as you point out doing it as an individual is is frightening potentially even dangerous uh, you're absolutely right um and i think particularly as christ's story starts to unfold it becomes very clear um that she was also um i suppose in a situation that was very difficult and just simply confronting that um, could have been incredibly dangerous and perhaps life-threatening for her. Uh, so I think that's absolutely right. I think maybe maybe the solution is, is for us to learn to just consider the options um, before necessarily... Um, deciding that one of them is the only course of action. Um, uh, so I guess it's, it's more around the consideration um, of any particular situation and really trying to challenge ourselves to think through all of the possibilities. Um, but absolutely the, the, the one we may plump on might be to stay exactly where we are because it's, it's at that time in our lives the safest. Mm. And, um, and that's incredibly valid. For sure. 
The novel we are discussing is Fusion, and I'm speaking with its author, Kate Richards. Kate, this is this has been a, a fascinating discussion, and we've we've really honed in on many of the the issues and the psychology that you discuss. I I'd be remiss um, if I if I left off the the conversation without mentioning how poetic and how beautiful the writing that you create, particularly as you you create the the dialogue between C and Serene. I just wanted to drop that in there as we as we finish up our chat. Thank you so much for taking the time for um for for exploring fusion with me. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me. It's been really lovely chatting with you. Um, and thank you for reading the book so closely. It's always a pleasure um, for myself and all of us writers when we have readers who really think about our work. It's um, it's an absolute delight. Thank oh, you. My pleasure. And sorry, that felt very tacked on the end there, but it occurred to me, like with a book that discusses so many ideas like this, it it can be that the interview just ends up being about uh, about the the character's psychology the issues and there really is there really was so much beauty to the way you you gave voice to each of the characters and i really liked the narrative shift through each of the parts of the book too oh um, thank you mm. yes that um that was a lot of work i think in in some of the redrafting and so on to think about how the book would flow as a whole and uh and, and sort of giving it that light and shade, you know, the kind of stronger parts and the gentler parts and um, and working on that dialogue between the two conjoined twins who have their own particular way of, of speaking with each other that's a bit different um, from how most of us converse with each other because they've grown up so closely together. Yeah, there's so much craft that obviously went into it and I just, I, I wanted to at least appreciate that even if we didn't get much <laughs> chance to chat it, chat about it. <laughs> Oh, no, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with how it's um, come together in the end. But, um, there, yeah, there was a lot of thinking and, and sort of gnashing of teeth to work out um, how to get that to work so that it was... Because it has to be sort of understandable for readers. There's no mm. point having it so um, esoteric that it becomes confusing. But on the other hand, I kind of thought they had to have some kind of unique way of... Um, of talking with each other because um, because they brought, were brought up in such a, an isolated place and they've come to understand each other in a very different way from how most of us are in relationship with other people. That's it for this great conversation with Kate Richards. Kate's new novel, Fusion, is out now through Penguin Random House. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture. Why not follow us on Twitter, Instagram, even Facebook? Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. And wherever you're listening to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, uh, podcatcher of your choice, click subscribe. It'll mean you get a new great conversation every week and uh, give us a rating. It also helps other people discover us. My name is Andrew Popel. I am back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. So till then, happy reading.